Welcome to the Crazy Cool Family Podcast with Don and Suzanne Manning. Parents, what if we could give you the power to transform your family into something absolutely amazing? A family where everyone is healthy, gets along, loves Jesus, and has great purpose in life. Hey, let us flip your thinking to unlock the power God has given you to create your own Crazy Cool Family. Hey, this is Jeff Zog from the Dad Awesome Podcast. I love the Crazy Cool Family, and specifically, I hopped into Basecamp, all of these resources, the video resources, the specific guides that let me put the names of my daughters and my wife, and just showing me visually, hey, am I making progress? What areas can I attend more to? So I'm so thankful. I want to encourage you guys to hop into Basecamp, sign up, dive into those first intro videos. It's been so helpful for my family. Hello, everyone in the Crazy Cool Family Nation. Welcome to the Crazy Cool Family Podcast. Don Manning here today with a, a man that I have really come to admire very quickly. Um, his name is John, and then I'm going to have to get this name right, St- Stangy, right? Did I get that right? Stongy. Stongy. Okay, I still didn't get it. Okay, keep trying. I'll keep trying. But, but the reason that uh, uh, Stongy is a German name, but John's an author, and uh, met him through some mutual friends. And uh, one is we're going we're gonna to introduce. So first of all, welcome, John. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, so excited. So John lives up in the Philadelphia area, and uh, he's a pastor of a church there. Tell them a little bit about your church. Sure. I, I serve at Core Creek Community Church. It's a, a church that is a replant. My wife and I moved here in 2008 to replant it in basically the, the wake of the, the previous church shutting down. Yeah, so John's a pastor an author. He's uh, the president of the National Mission Board, which is a board that helps uh, churches to um, people that want to plant churches, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he is, uh, so he's just, he's got his hands in a lot of things. But one of the things that impressed me was, is that uh, John's, a, he's got a book out and um, that book is called Dwell on These Things, a 31-day challenge to talk to God. Is that, I don't have the title in front like, of me. Yeah, to, to talk to yourself the way God talks to you. Well, and that, yeah, to talk to yourself the way God talks to you. And so um, that fascinated me um, because we talk a lot at Crazy Cool Family about um, how that the top of our pyramid, the top of our house is to pursue God, that we will only be as good of fathers as we and mothers as we are sons and daughters of the King. And we talk a lot about how to, hear God's voice. And so, you know, uh, so John, just before we get in the book a little bit, just in your life and in general, you say, talk to yourself like God talks to you. When you hear God talk in your own personal life and, and what, when you're teaching people, what is, what do you, what do you think God says to you? It's interesting because over the course of my ministry, one of the things that I've noticed about myself is that I tend to be harder on myself than anyone else is. And it's kind of interesting to prepare messages and preach and do different things like that throughout the course of the week where I'm actively trying to encourage people in their walk with Christ. And I'm actively trying to help people understand what the Word of God states and then to, to preach a message and then sometimes get on my, my case about it or, or, you know, like speak very critical of myself. I noticed that pattern in myself years ago and I thought, what would it look like if I transition from, uh, you know, just trying to focus on preaching the gospel to others to also making sure that a, a healthy part of my week is preaching the gospel to my own heart. 
And oh, so wow. that's one of the one of the things that I've really been active in doing over the past group of years, and it's helped immensely. And that actually inspired this idea of of putting that together in a book because it was a, a pretty radical uh, change in how I was thinking and how I was operating, where I was primarily treating the gospel as something that I was communicating to others. And uh, somewhere along the way, I thought, wait, I need to, to make sure that I'm, I'm making a concerted effort to preach the gospel to my own heart as well. And uh, when I made a, a point to do that, it was, I found it very refreshing and very helpful and I certainly became much less critical of myself and much more open to, to seeing the hand of God in a variety of ways as he was at work around me. So you mentioned the words, you said the phrase, preaching the gospel to yourself. Now that, mm-hmm. so, you know, we don't go around saying that to ourselves all the time. Okay, today I'm going to preach the gospel. Or maybe even going back to your, to your book title or the subtitle where we don't go around saying, okay, I want to talk to myself today the way God talks to me. When you say preach the gospel to yourself, what did that look like for you? What, 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 was, the, what, what was the message, the sermon message that you preached to yourself? Yeah, well, I think a lot of times we, we think the gospel is just for other people, right? Mm-hmm. We think that the message of the gospel is, to, is primarily to teach other people to trust in Christ and receive the gift of salvation. And obviously, that's a huge part of the gospel. But one of the things that the Lord wants us to do is to realize that it's also the daily food that we're supposed to be enjoying and eating. So the gospel isn't just for unbelievers to to bring them into the kingdom. It's also for us as believers to delight in every day. And one of the things that that the good news of of salvation teaches me is that I don't have to be self-sufficient. I don't have to be uh, perfect in and of myself. Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived the perfect life for me. And so since I noticed within myself a tendency to be unnecessarily critical of myself and sometimes even unfairly critical of myself, I think what I was trying to do is to live the perfect life in my own strength. And so in that context, one of the things I needed to remind myself or preach the gospel to myself in respect to was saying, all right, John, the Jesus lived the perfect life on your behalf. The idea isn't that you live the perfect life in your own strength. The idea is that you trust him today. And so, yeah, you'll goof certain things up or you'll do certain things that, that you would say, all right, that was less than perfect. But that's understandable. And the truth is Christ is my sufficiency. I am not my sufficiency. And so this is another moment where I can trust in him to be perfect on my behalf. And that was, you know, one area where preaching the gospel to myself, I found immensely helpful. Well, and, you know, so many of our parents um, always say that, you know, the parents that come to our ministry are not deadbeat parents. These are parents that love their kids, that want to love the Lord. You know, when you're trying to improve and trying to build a Christian family, you know, if, if you're not attracted to that, you're not going to come to this ministry. You know, people come to us, they go, man, I want to figure out more. I want, and, and yet what you're saying is, is that can lead to self-criticism of, and not just in parenting, but in life. I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not perfect enough. I should be better. But yet you also say, and I'm kind of going into the, to the 31 days challenge here, is it also says, make the most of your privilege to repent. That's mm-hmm. the 11. If you want to jump to that when you buy the book, make the most of your privilege <laughs> to repent. And so, you know, repentance means that we turn to God and we want to get better. We want to be more pure or whatever that is. 
how does the self-talk with God, you know, where it's not being critical of ourselves and allowing ourselves to make mistakes, even Romans 6 talks about how, you know, should I go on sinning so that grace might increase <laughs> by no means, you know, it doesn't right. mean that we get this allowance to sin. How do you have God speak to you with good self-talk while still helping us to repent and, uh, and step into more of what he has for us? I, so chapter 11 is where, like I said, where I talk a lot about repentance. And that's probably, if not my favorite chapter of the book, it's probably, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely up there, but it may be my actual favorite chapter of the book. And, um, and one of the things that I think it's helpful for us to understand is how we're seen in God's eyes. So when God looks at you and when he looks at me, he doesn't see us for who we were. He sees us who, for who he has made us to be. He see, the Father sees the Son in us. The Father looks at us, and the, uh, the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, it talks about the fact that we are holy and blameless in his sight. Now, it's hard for me to, to really wrap my mind around the fact that God sees me as holy and blameless, but yet what he's seeing me for is not for all the errors I've made or all the mistakes I've made. He's seeing ultimately his son alive in me. And so the father sees Christ alive in me. So he sees me as holy and blameless in his sight. So in other words, God sees you as he sees Jesus. Yes, exactly. And And if I think that God's... That we, I mean, that's so hard for us to get our our brain around. That God really sees me... It really, you know, and the only way I can re- relate to it is to how I see my grandkids. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. I look at them. I've got two that are three and one that's two and about one to come. And I, and when, especially when they're young and they're you know, they, that one-year-old or two-year-old, when they're three, you start to see a little bit of the, of the, of the edge coming out in them. Hmm. But, uh, but, you know, you just look at them and go, wow, these kids are amazing. And you see through their faults to see who they are, my grandchild. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the way I picture that God sees us. Does that, is that any? Yeah, I think that's a great example, a great analogy. And if, and, and when you know that you are loved that deeply and seen that way, it makes it much more inviting to admit something that you're struggling with. So if I know that, that the Lord is going to, to look at me and he, he already sees me for what the ultimate outcome is going to be, he can already see what I'm going to look like in my glorified state. So right now, I, you know, I'm not in that glorified state. That's still future for me, but he already sees it and he already understands it because he knows he's facilitating it. And because of that, if I'm wrestling with something or I'm struggling with something, I don't have to lie to myself and, and say, oh, you're, you're not struggling with that or, or let's just pretend like it's not even happening. I can just openly say, you know what, Lord, I know you love me in the midst of my struggles and I can just admit this to you that I'm really wrestling with this. And so repentance is where we turn from something that's unhealthy and we turn toward God who ultimately wants to heal us of what we're struggling with. And if I understand who he is and how he sees me, it makes it much safer in my mind to repent. It's much more safe to repent than it is to hold on to something that is unhealthy. And then I get to turn to the Lord and he helps. You you said something that I think is, um, you said that he becomes safe. So is it, is it safe to say that when we get the right self talk from God, when in, in effect, when God, when we allow 
the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to us in the, in the correct form that it, it makes us, it helps us to be seen as a safe place where we can come repent of anything with God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes we think our sin is so far outside of God's ability to forgive it. And then we find ourselves in a spot where we just kind of tuck those things away and almost protect them and hide them instead of openly confessing and, and repenting of things that are destroying us because we're fearful that somehow God is going to reject us if we admit these things before him. But he already knows that we struggle with these things. He already knows everything in our life. He knows everything in our thinking. And so we might as well just come before him and realize, look, I struggle with these things, but my idea of self-worth isn't based in whether or not I make it through life mistake-free. Christ already did that for me. So now I trust in Jesus Christ and and receive the gift of his righteousness so that I don't need to try and produce some sort of self-righteousness that would be the opposite of the truth of the gospel. The gospel tells me that the righteousness of Christ is given to me as a gift that's imputed into my life. It's imputed into my account. And so many of us try to rely on our own self-righteousness because we forget that aspect of the gospel and we stop preaching it to ourselves and uh, we end up going down a path that's unhealthy and unwise. And so I think a, a big aspect of preaching the gospel to my own heart and, uh, and dwelling on the things that the Lord's revealed in Scripture reminds me that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient for me and it's given to me as a gift that I did not have to earn. I'd like to dig in the book a little bit, just a minute, but what I'd really like to do before that is, and I think that I have my own story. What I would say what you're talking about is identity, that, our, that we have a lot of times the, the, the kind of the Christian term of the day is identity, that, that we, um, we uh, identify with, with God's love for us. And, and what, as we understand our identity more and more of God's, that we are loved, then we can act out of that love. I'm just curious, though, like I have my own story of how identity has deepened itself in my life. How did you come to know this? I mean, did, did, was it just like one day you woke up when you were seven and you said, oh, my goodness, look, I have identity. And, and now I live in this freedom and, every, and I can repent and everything. Or was it more, I say that tongue in cheek, but I mean, because you, how did you come to know that in your life? I think, yeah, I, I think uh, some of the biggest help to me in that regard were some of the people that I met early in my pastoral ministry that were honest enough with me to, to help refine the message that I was preaching. And so, you know, we would have gospel conversations. We would have, you know, just conversations related to what the gospel actually looks like, looks like once you come to faith in Christ and would, would challenge each other with that and, and even point out deficiencies in each other's preaching that uh, where we thought, all right, this could be more Christ-centered if it was phrased this way. And so scripture talks about this idea of believers refining one another. You know, we have the opportunity to sharpen one another. And so I, I tried my best and still do to live in close proximity to other people that feel like they can comfortably speak into my life because what ends up happening is the Holy Spirit will speak through your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you understand things that you're missing as long as you're open to it. And if, and if your, your sense of righteousness and worth isn't based in your own abilities or strength, you're not going to feel quite as offended when somebody points out an error or when somebody points out something 
that needs to be sharpened a little bit, you're going to say, thank you. That was actually helpful. And, uh, and one other thing I'll add to that, um, when you speak specifically of this concept of identity, one of the, the portions of scripture that I remember really latching onto in my early 20s was basically the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is really practical because you have, the, you have six chapters. You have the first three chapters that, that, that show us a lot of the behind the scenes of who God is and what he's doing. And then you have the, the following three chapters that show us how to live that out. And right. when you look at Ephesians chapter one, it talks about a whole bunch of things that are true of us in Christ, where our sense of identity is found in Christ. And it talks about the fact that, that we're blessed in that chapter. It talks about the fact that he chose us. It talks about the fact that we're, like we said a moment ago, that we're holy and blameless before him. It talks about the fact that we're loved and adopted. It talks about all these things that are permanently true of us in Christ. And so often we try to base our sense of identity on things that will not be eternally true. And so if something about you isn't going to be true 10,000 years from now, don't adopt it as your sense of identity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that one of my favorite verses out of Ephesians 1 is, you know, may, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that they may know the hope to which they've been called the riches of his glorious inheritance for all the saints. And his power is incredibly great power for us who believe. You know, if you think about just stepping into the riches of, you know, stepping into the kingdom, um, and it is a, I, you know, I remember, it's interesting to me that you said that you started with safe people and therefore found a safe God. You know, as you started to say, you started to, it started through relationship. I remember, you know, for me, one of many, many years ago, uh, one of my mentors, um, gave me a cassette tape that'll tell you how long ago it was mm -hmm. on grace by a guy named john lynch he just said hey don why don't you listen to this tape he, he i spoke you know in my achievement oriented lifestyle and he gave me this cassette tape and i listened to it and for the first time john lynch said talked about how you know what god's not so concerned about all your achievements he's not so he loves you as you are and he's he's okay with your mistakes. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, that's not my God, but it, over time it became my God. It feels like that's kind of what happened with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I definitely say that's, that's a, a good analogy. Lots of similarity. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, what I want to get to people to understand is, is that, you know, wherever you are, sometimes, you know, I was reading a book the other day and it talked about how we have the curse of knowledge, you know, that we, we are at a point, but we don't realize what it took us to get there. And, mm -hmm. you know, for many of our, of our parents that are listening, they're in their late twenties with, you know, kids that are two and, 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 and I don't want parents to, oh yes, you know, we, I've got to get there tomorrow. No, just step into a safe relationship, step into a small group, you know, when, and that's what we did to help us to have the identity that we have today. And, and it's just one step at a time. And, and so really, and, and this book can be a big part of this. So when you, when you wrote the book, um, how do people, well, let's think about this. You wrote it to help people to understand how the self-talk that, or the talk that God, how to talk to yourself like God talks to you. So how do these different in 31, do you recommend it's a, it, it is a truly once a day for 31 days? How do you recommend people take your book and have it impact their lives? 
well, I, I people read at different paces, and so people tell me all the time that sometimes, even though it's it's carved up into thirty one chapters that are that are easily digestible as daily daily doses, basically. Um, some people read sections at a time. Some people take it one day at a time. The the reason I carved it up the way I did was I wanted it to be practical and I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted it to, I wanted it to actually be a book that people would read. Most books, when people buy them, they read less than the first 20% and then it stays on the shelf of good intentions for the rest <laughs> of their life or they just eventually give it away. And right. I did not want it to be that kind of book. I wanted it to be the kind of book that you would look at and, and realize it's not a very long daily commitment to read one of these chapters. And uh, and so that's why it's carved up that way. And so if people can carve out you know, less than 10 minutes, they could, they could work their way through one of the daily chapters. And if they do it early in the day, the idea is that it would be a thought that gets implanted in their head during the course of that day that they can really wrestle with and they could really chew on for the next 24 hours and then spend the next day doing that. And I'm convinced. So they often say it takes about three weeks for a new habit to form. Mm -hmm. And so with this, you know, instead of 21 days, we're, there's a bonus 10, essentially, if you, if, you, if you think about it that way. And by the end of 31 days, if you're carving it up, using that as, uh, as something that's helpful to you in the morning each day for 31 days, it very well could contribute to a new habit and a new way of seeing life, seeing yourself, understanding how God's at work in you and how he's at work around you. And it seems like so often as we try to change our thoughts, I compare it to, it's like you're trying to crawl out of a, of a pit and then, you know, and the handholds are not very good. It just sometimes it seems like we fall backwards and we're just as kind, you know, the sand is going through our fingers as we try to crawl out of these habits. How would you say that, you know, based on what you're trying to teach people here, that is what's effective in getting into, and, and I do believe that there are certain things in, in my life, I see it happen in others where you do get, where it becomes a different habit, a different, mm -hmm. you overcome it. But, you know, um, how do you think that, what, what would you recommend as people are trying to climb out of that pit of, of maybe a negative self-talk or certain habits they have that are detrimental? I, I think, and this is important, I think, for all of us to understand, any behavior change that takes place in our life that lasts really begins with belief change. So a lot of times when we notice bad habits in our life or things that we want to change, a lot of times people start working on the symptom instead of the problem. They think, all right, if I just uh, if I just kind of go about things this way, then it'll change. Or if I go about it this way, it'll change. Or if I just change my circumstance, or if I just change you know, this or change that. And really what it comes down to is you need a change of belief. There's something you've been preaching to your heart that is really, in essence, the fruit of a false gospel that's producing bad fruit. And so if you can identify what you've been preaching to your heart that really doesn't line up with the gospel and then replace that false belief with what scripture actually teaches, that ends up producing better habits in your overall life because once belief change takes place, behavior change follows. Every behavior you and I enact in, whether it's something as simple as brushing your teeth in the morning or or whether it's, you know, whether you take a daily walk, every behavior comes from a belief. So why do I brush my teeth in the morning? Well, I'm, I'm, I, I, it's because I believe that it will be helpful for my overall health if I do that. Why do I take walks? 
It's because I believe it'll be overall helpful. Why do I avoid certain foods? Why do I avoid certain habits? It's because I have a belief that those things will be unhealthy and, and will produce negative results. You know, I was reading in your book, uh, I was reading one of the deals, I don't remember which day it was, I, 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 I was telling you before we started, I kind of started a few and then I kind of bounced around to some things I wanted to, to look at. But one of them was, is that uh, you said that um, you uh, went to the doctor and his cholesterol is a little high because you have access to all the foods, every food around you that you could possibly do, you know, yes. like, and, you know, that's an example, a lot of, you know, because we really don't believe the, the, or maybe sometimes it's the, the benefit of eating that Chick-fil-A or whatever it is that ice right. cream or whatever is better than the detriment of whatever that is, or being overweight or bad health or whatever, high cholesterol or whatever, right? Um, well, yeah. And, and that's a perfect example that you brought up, at least in my own life, of an area that I, I've identified um, like in essence, a false gospel. And I'll, and this is what I mean by that. It sounds probably crazy to, to hear it like a pastor say, I've identified a false gospel in my life. <laughs> but, but here's what I mean by that. The, you know, if what's at the root of making poor food choices or overeating? Well, when I get stressed, you know, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't use drugs, I don't even drink alcohol. And so a lot of times people, when they get stressed, those are certain things that they'll go to, Right. So what I've noticed for me and what it's really safe for, for someone like me to do is to overeat and to medicate through overeating or to medicate your emotions through making poor food, uh, food choices. Yeah. And so I reference that in the book as a personal example of an area that I have to keep an eye on because if I tell myself that my heart will be satisfied with another fried chicken sandwich, if I tell myself that, that my emotions will be cooled with, with some ice cream, what I'm doing is I'm setting myself up for failure and, and I'm not preaching the essence of the gospel to my heart that my heart can be satisfied, my emotions could be calmed down through the presence of Christ, through relying on Christ. If I have Christ, I have what I need. I don't need to go to some external source of medication to soothe my emotions. And so this is the type of, of gospel preaching that, that we can do in a very practical way to our own hearts that helps us understand that. And it doesn't mean that you never eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Of course not. Chick-fil-A is like, they just, for the eighth year in a row, they say it was the most popular restaurant in the country. So, Certainly is in my household. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and so, but you know, it doesn't mean that we never eat ice cream or whatever, but I love it. What you're saying is, is that you look for what's my motivation to do certain things. Um, you know, for me, one of the huge things that happened and, and I relate it to parenting is I had a belief and, and so much of this is identifying what our beliefs are in order to change. It starts out with what I love that you've done there is you said, what's my motivation? Why do I maybe eat too many, you know, too much ice cream or whatever it is? And you did. And then the Lord can tell you why that is, because the Lord knows you better than anybody. And, you know, like for me, one of the things that was huge for me in my first um, parenting was I had a belief, I had a fear my kids would not turn out well. Mm -hmm. And so what that made me do is want to constantly lecture them and want to control their behavior and freak out when they didn't do well because there was a fear in me that they would not turn out well. And one time I remember talking to my wife, who's one of my safe places, and I said, you know, I, I shared with that. And she said, you know, I just believe God has them. 
And, 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 and you know, and actually we were kind of arguing about that because I wanted her to parent more like me because hmm. I wanted her to share my fear so that we would overcome that fear with action. And instead, God said, why don't you change your belief system? What if you had more faith that your kids were going to turn out amazing, that I have them, that I love them, and I want the best for them? And it changed the way I parented. Hmm. You know, it, it changed me to want to be more in, an inspiring parent and not have to control as more and to believe more and to give them and to have more freedom in my life and, and pursue freedom in their life. And mm -hmm. I believe it was a fundamental belief change that had an incredible impact on my family. Mm -hmm. Just like if we have a, a fundamental belief change in the motivation for why we eat that ice cream or whatever it is, it can have a fundamental difference in our health and our, and you know, in our, um, all kinds of things. Even, you know, food can have a, a mental, um, you know, it can give us, make us tired or whatever as well. It can have a really fundamental difference. So I love it that you're talking about. And so tell me how, like, let's get practical here is, you know, how would they, take a chapter or give another chapter maybe that you really like and say, how would that, how would somebody read that chapter to work to change their belief system? Well, let's see. So um, let's take uh, uh, day number five, dwell on God's kindness toward you. Yeah. Right. So, so that's a day where I think the fruit of the gospel that we could be preaching to our own heart that day is to recognize that the things that, that come our way ultimately are for God's glory and our good. And I think sometimes there are plenty of people going through life with kind of a bitter spirit, thinking that somehow if uh, adversity comes their way, that God is not being kind to them, or that if everything doesn't line up exactly they, the way they hoped it would, that somehow he has forgotten them or that he is ignoring them. But yeah. I think, you know, what would it look like for us to spend a day dwelling on God's kindness toward us and recognizing that his word is true? And when he says that he works all things together for our good, that he actually means it. And if we give time or if we allow time to actually see how some of these things play out, what I've learned in my own life, some of my moments of adversity that I was so eager to finish up and be done with ended up becoming long-term blessings that from the longer perspective of my life, I look at and I just thank God for, and I'm so grateful that I went through those hard patches, that one of the things I've been praying about just in my own personal growth, my own personal relationship with the Lord, is that I would learn to say thank you sooner, that I wouldn't wait till I have the long-term perspective yeah. on a trial, that I'd be able to look at it and say, Lord, I'm in the midst of it right now, and I'm already going to thank you even before I have the chance to see how this is going to resolve or, or produce good fruit. Yeah, so in effect, but it starts with a belief system of God is kind to me. Mm -hmm. You know, just having that statement. So what you would, so, you know, I, I love the super practicality of it because, uh, you know, is that, that you could read that that morning and say, okay, there's all this stuff. I, I was just skimming through, you know, you got an example of Herbert Hoover in here, you know, just oh, yeah. all the things that, that come with it, you know, but, but in, in, in effect, what you do is you walk away, not with all that, you know, information in your head, but you just walk away with, I believe God is kind to me. Mm -hmm. 
wow. What? And then, so now as you walk in your day and you start to, you know, interact with people and, and somebody, even when somebody comes at you, that's a little bit adversarial, you're like, God's still kind to me. You know, right. so what, God, what do you want to do with this situation? Or instead of, oh my goodness, you know, the, the world is attacking me or whatever that belief system is that we do. And, uh, and I, I think that's so much of where, um, you know, that's where freedom comes about mm-hmm. because we are free to be loved by God and to see things from his perspective. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So, um, this is great. So I really appreciate it. And I just want to kind of wrap it up with, uh, I want to, what I want to talk about the rest of your stuff as we finish, but I just want to wrap up this thing is that, is that, uh, people listen to the podcast. How does you said some things that are so critical that one, we are loved and, and God loves us. He sees us as he sees Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's huge that he doesn't see us. You know, when you can see yourself as God sees you instead of as we see ourselves through our, and that's what creates our negative self-talk that that's a fundamental change in the way we see ourselves, which, you know, sometimes in Romans eight, um, our pastor talks about, instead of thinking about being an orphan, we're a child of the King. Mm-hmm. How would the child of the King act versus the orphan act? Right. It's totally different because they have it, you know, it, because that orphan has got to is full of fear and never knows where his next meal is coming from. Child mm-hmm. of the King walks in freedom because he knows he has the King behind him and, and through him and in him. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good analogy. And then we talk about, and then you also, so identity was one, and then you went to how you change that belief system, that negative self-talk is just through putting different uh, statements in your heart that change. It starts with your belief system. We change our behavior by changing our belief systems. Mm -hmm. And at the core, it means believing things like God is kind to us. Right. I mean, that's, right. that's huge. That's just a, that's like God is kind to us. That's like five or six words, but it is a huge belief change. Oh yeah. And it, and if we want to reinforce that, I mean, that this is a good reminder to us why we need to stay in the scriptures because so often you and I are, I mean, we live in the information age. And so I've got information coming at me 24 seven. I can't drive down the road without seeing some billboard pointing me towards something or, you know, when I, when I'm watching TV or when I'm on, on the internet, there's always a message coming at me when I'm on my phone, you know, there's always a message coming at me. And when, when you think about how many of those things pepper our lives, and it, it just reminds me of just how much we need the word of God. And we need people who will proclaim the truth of scripture in their lifestyle and in their words that can ultimately speak into our lives and remind us of these things. I think that all contributes to the message that we preach to our hearts. And I think the Holy Spirit uses his people and he uses his word to help us understand more about the heart of God. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And so the the book that John has, it's called, and it's, and if you look it up in Amazon, it's S-T-A-N-G-E, Stangy. 
Stongy. It's Stongy. tricky. <laughs> I still can't get it. Wow. It's I'm okay. Gonna... You and everybody else on earth. You know, I, I, I'm grateful I have an I'm easy first it. name. I'm get it before it's all over. Um, <laughs> but also, I want to say that that book is called Dwell on These Things. S-T-A-N-G-E is the how you spell his last name if you're looking it up on Amazon. And it's it's just a great read, an easy read. I love easy reads. And, you know, in, even in terms of belief change, you were talking about putting the, putting the scripture in there. Starts with the scripture gives you about just a few minutes of, of uh, practical and then ends with a statement of dwell on this. You know, uh, today I will give grace to those around me because grace has been generously lavished on me. Just mm-hmm. a statement, a scripture that, you know, and, and you were talking about scripture. I love it. You know, I was, I was listening to a guy the other day. He just said, you know, the reason we study scripture is so that because when we're in the situation, we can't just all of a sudden pull out our Bible. Mm-hmm. We have to have we have to have the scripture inside of us so that when life hits us, we are able to fight back just like Jesus did when he was tempted. And I love it that, you know, and, and even the scripture even turns into statements. When all scripture is is words. It's words inspired by God, but it turns into statements that we can say into our lives to help us with that negative self-talk in our mm-hmm. life. So that's the book, Dwell in These Things. Also, uh, I was asking John, I think he's written almost 30 books. Uh, one of them is, uh, just tell us about a couple of your other favorites. Uh, well, well, one of the ones that um, that I, I really enjoy that I had the opportunity to, to put together, and it took me a year to put, to put it together, is the Desire Jesus One Year Devotional. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great compliment, I think, to, to dwell on these things if you're looking for bite-sized pieces of information that can inspire and point you toward Christ over the course of an entire year. And so that that would be one that's certainly high on my list of favorites. I also have a another book in, in a similar vein uh, that is, is all about um, uh, overcoming negative self-talk with the truth of the gospel is the concept of it. And it just gives us a little bit more information about what it looks like to to overcome that negative self-talk. And what's that called again? It's called Overcoming Negative Self-Talk with the Truth of the Gospel. Yeah, and um, all those available on Amazon, right? They are, yep. And if if people go to desirejesus.com, if they go to my website, you could actually read the first three chapters of Dwell on These Things for free. The publisher yeah, okay. gave me permission to put it up there, and, and it's right there on the website. And uh, we will put these in the show notes, uh, these links. The, the Desire Jesus note will um, uh, put a link to uh, – and you can buy the Dwell on These Things uh, there on the site. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you can go to – probably the best thing to go to all his books, the Desire jesus.com to get that right that's correct yeah and not um and so uh, i didn't know if it was desiring but yeah desirejesus.com uh thanks john for being on with us um man um thanks for your work just uh you, you do a lot of work for the kingdom um i know pastoring a local church can be a full-time job and yet you're also uh, writing and raising a family and and, and doing your mission board stuff, man. That, and uh, there's so much that uh, God has has empowered you with. I guess that would be the good good thing to say. Um, um, tell just before we leave, you you have your kids' ages. I, I didn't even talk about your family. Just talk about that just a little bit. Sure. Our our oldest is 22, and then so that's a girl, and then we have a son who's 20, 
and then another son who's 18, and then one more daughter who is 16. So right in the middle of the teenage college world, and yeah. been married for how long? Uh, since uh, 1998. Yeah, there you go. So, um, so just a, also just I love it that in, in line with Crazy Cool Family, you're you've been committed to your family and your ministry and helping uh, helping a lot of people build their identity in Christ to overcome their negative self-talk. So just thank you so much for all your work in the kingdom, man. Um, well done, faithful servant. Thank you so much. It was a, a real joy to be on and to have a chance to chat with you today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And so parents, I hope what you take out of this is uh, just to go get the book and uh, really start to work. Let's, you know, let's work on changing our negative self-talk. And, and also parents, it really helps with your children. You know, if you if you go into our Basecamp membership site and you look at the parent-to-kid relationship, one of the things we talk about is putting identity into your kids, that we, we start putting identity into our kids, that we should love our kids just as God loves us. And as always, parents, go be crazy, crazycoolfamily.com.